coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. If you're a plumber, get those things out of the way in the morning. Don't just push them to the back of the van. If you're, you've got things on your desk that have to happen this morning, do them. Don't just push them and relegate them to when they become a fire. And that that's the challenge for so many people is they end up they end up procrastinating on these because they're not necessarily at the top of the heap of the things they want to do. And then they turn into fires and then their whole uh, entrepreneurial career tends to be about putting out fires rather than growth. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 117. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sean Shuchuk. Sean is known as the number one results coach and two times best-selling author. He has helped over 12,000 clients in his professional career and has over 5,000 keynote presentations to his credit. Sean, so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's good to be here. It really is great, and I'm so glad that we had a chance to catch up a little bit or to get to know each other. Uh, definitely will tie in uh, some of the the benefits, if you will, of hanging up in, in Western Canada, but for now... Let's let's let me jump into your bio. It was really short, but there was something I had there in the front, and I'm curious to know how you interpret it. What is a results coach, and what results do you get for your clients? Well, I, I don't I don't know how uh, how um, short I should make this answer, but I'll say this to you. Um, listen, the, the only focus I have around this when I have the privilege to work with someone or a team, whatever group, whatever that happens to be, is is their outcomes. And I think a lot of us overcomplicate things. Maybe it's a human nature thing. I'm not sure. Uh, but the reality of this is the focus as far as uh, myself and our entire team for the last, I'm going to say, 25 years has always been uh, on the outcome. And I think we get caught up in in um, some of the other things that may not be as uh, important or pertinent to the outcomes that people want. OK, so what would be examples of outcomes that your clients are typically looking for? And I'm curious, do they come to you already knowing what those outcomes are? Or is it really through the discovery process that you solidify those most of the time? Awesome question. Um, so there are cases where, where you know, I'm going to say probably 20% of the folks that uh, end up on my doorstep, so to speak, um, they they have a very clear picture of where they're going. Uh, the, the other 80%, not so much. And so it is through discovery process. It is through doing a deep dive. It is through saying, okay, what does that look like for you? You know, in two, three, four, five, ten, whatever that happens to be from a timeline standpoint. So, uh, no, I would say generally not for, for a vast majority. A vast majority of people, they know what they want, and maybe that represents freedom, but they don't understand what freedom is. In my world, uh, freedom is defined as the ability to do what you want, when you want, and with whom you want. And I think once we get clear on that, then things start to change. There's another three steps to this. We look at this. We need to get clear on what that and, and you know to make this easy because I'm a simple guy grew up on a farm um, is focus. We need to have um, you know some focus on where we're going. So clarity around destination, focus to the exclusion of all outside distractions, and then execution. It's not so much about action. I can go stand in the middle of any freeway and flap my arms like a bird flaps its wings, and I'm taking action, but I'm not really accomplishing anything of significance. So there's a big difference between. Uh, you know, just taking action and taking action that is actually going to move in the direction of your goal or objective. 
it's interesting because there's a few things I'd like to unpack there. You talked about, these are my words, not yours, action in effect versus achievement. I literally just um, published a post on the difference between productivity and busyness. And in many ways are similar. You know, busyness is all about getting things done. The question is, are you doing the right kind of work or are you just trying to stay busy and be active and somehow imagine that you're doing something that's meaningful or purposeful? So well, I'll, I'll jump know, in there if, if I can for a second. This is interesting. I speak a lot and work with a lot of people in productivity, including groups and teams and divisions of companies and entire companies. And one of the things that comes out of this is the average person today in North America is is productive only four out of 24 hours. Think about that for a second. Wow. So that, that's a really interesting number statistic. But if we take that a step further and we, we look at entrepreneurs uh, or entrepreneurially minded individuals and we say, okay, you know, let's take a look at what you're doing in order to accomplish X, whatever that happens to be for that particular individual. So often there's a part of this that ends up being a form of procrastination where we're busy for the sake of doing something, not actually the things we should be doing in order to accomplish what it is we intended to. You know, the goal we set these, these you know, we talk about big, hairy, audacious goals in the book, Good to Great. And, and this is fantastic. But the reality of it is most people never achieve that because they get busy doing the things that keep them busy. I, I was uh, retained a number of years ago by a company to work with them and their entire team. And uh, the first day that there was a husband and wife, they built a company you know, from the basement. They were doing 25 or $35 million a year. So well, by most standards in that space. And she phoned me. She said, it's six o'clock. We had an amazing day. I said, what'd you do? She said, we did ABC. And I said, okay, what did you do that moved the needle? What did you do that moved the company forward? And the phone went quiet. She said, well, we're still here and we're cleaning the bathrooms and the waste paper baskets. And, you know, she shouldn't have been the one doing that. Now, I don't think she's better than anyone else. I just think that her her time, use of time, would be much more productive if she was doing the things that move the company forward. So once we get clear on what we want, it's it's it been this is something we'll talk about more probably in, in this conversation, is we get to reverse engineer that. If we say we want an increase of whatever that is, and it doesn't have to be necessarily money, but that's the easiest one for us to quantify. If we want an increase, once we get clear on that, we can work backwards and say, okay, here's where it is we're going. What is that I need to do every year, every month, every week, every day, and for some of us with undiagnosed ADHD, maybe even every hour, what are those high leverage activities? Because if we're engaged in something that's not a high leverage activity, what then are we doing? And the challenge for most of us is, is we're busy, but we're busy doing the things we enjoy doing, not the things that necessarily need to get done. You know, if you're a plumber, get those things out of the way in the morning. Don't just push them to the back of the van. If you're, you've got things on your desk that have to happen this morning, do them. Don't just push them and relegate them to when they become a fire. And that that's the challenge for so many people is they end up they end up procrastinating on these because they're not necessarily at the top of the heap of the things they want to do. And then they turn into fires and then their whole uh, entrepreneurial career tends to be about putting out fires rather than growth. Yeah, <clears throat> there's a lot there to unpack, but I do want to go back to something <laughs> It was a, it was a, it, what I said before was going to be ultimately a lead up to this. So I do want to come to this because I feel like when it comes to, I know coaching and therapy are very different. Oftentimes in people's mind, they have a similar connotation, which is one of the reasons I find a lot of people hesitate to reach out to a coach. It's almost as if it's an admission of weakness or failure. And so if most people are coming to you and the clarity is occurring after the initial conversation rather than before. I'm curious to know what is it that drives people to you in the first place? Like, how is it that people are coming to this awareness even before speaking to you? They're obviously reaching out to you. 
They must have something that's going on that is triggering that. What do you find that typically to be for people? And how do you get them to see the benefits without actually having spent time with them yet? Uh, you know, there, that's an interesting question because so often high trust is built when you spend time with somebody, right? And so that that's an interesting question. Um, I've been very fortunate, bless, and I'll, I'll I'll answer that question the best way I can based on what I know and what people have shared with me of why they, you know, they they darken my doorway, so to speak. And I think the reason is because there are so many people today looking for more than what they've been given or offered. Um, we can go to school. I don't care if you go to college and get a bachelor's degree or you go to master's or you get a PhD or whatever it is you decide you want to do. We're never really taught how to go out and create more. We're taught we should go to work from nine to five or whatever that looks like and we should come home and we should, et cetera. And it becomes this hamster wheel. I think people are tired or maybe sick and tired of being sick and tired of what it is they do on a daily basis and they want more. They want the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to, and whatever's important to them. So for me, for example, I love travel. I love travel with my family. Um, I'm very fortunate and blessed. We have a place in the Rocky Mountains that we spend a lot of time at, especially during the summer months. Um, and, you know, people say to me, Sean, I don't understand. Like you work hard, but, you know, when you disconnect, you, you're gone. Like, you know, um, yeah, I might have a great team and they're here and they take care of certain things. But so freedom is something that you define, not me. Right. And that's why I gave the description I did earlier. And I think there's a lot of people out there that that, that have come to the realization that the road they're on isn't taking them where they want to go. And I think that's the impetus behind them uh, coming out and looking for something or someone to work with. Uh, and, I, and I'll say this very, very openly and, and with humility. I'm so eternally grateful for the opportunity I have had over the years to work with you know thousands of people to help them to get to that place. Uh, where they can experience what I think life was always intended to be. So how did you get into coaching in the first place? Like, what was your entry into the field? Uh, I was a coach before there was such thing as coaching or even the term as coaching. Uh, I was 13 years old and I was reading the back of a magazine. This, of course, will date me and predates the internet, uh, at least the way we know it today. And there was a, a classified ad in the back of the magazine said something about helping businesses grow and succeed. And uh, I asked my parents to write a check and they did. And I think it was 12 bucks or $13 I was somewhere in there. And they, they ordered this book for me or I ordered this book and I still have it. It's still somewhere here in my office and I've shown it to people before. And it really was a watered down version of management consulting. Um, and in those days, you know, there was no such thing as self-publishing or that kind of thing. This individual literally sat down at a typewriter or, you know, a, an early version of some kind of a word processor and typed this thing up and, and went to a print shop and had it bound. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I was 13. I grew up rural on a farm. Nobody cared what I knew. I was in school and, you know, the, the cattle down the lane didn't want to know what I knew. And so I finished high school, decided I wasn't going to go back to school at that point in time. And I moved small town, a to big city, uh, and realized after getting a job that I was highly unemployable. And so I went back to this book. I actually phoned my mom and I said, Hey mom, somewhere in my old bedroom is this box. I need you to dig through it and find this. And she did and sent it to me. And I literally went to this thing again, and I started knocking on doors. Um, I didn't have lots of money. I went, I think I spent $12 or $15 on some white business cards that had my name and said, you know, I think it said business consultant and a phone number. There was no website. There was no email address in those days. And uh, and that's really where it started. And, uh, you know, did I know what I was doing? At some level. Um, and then I went back to school and, you know, uh, got a little bit of a, a, a firmer grasp on sort of the business side of things. And, uh, that's the reality is I wanted to help people grow and succeed. I didn't know at the time what coaching was or that there was even such a thing. And there was a point in time where coaching had a, 
Um, an interesting stigma, a connotation attached to was a little bit woo-woo and, you know, the old boys club wouldn't have anything to do with it. Of course, today, if you look at truly successful people, we've had coaches for years. We just didn't use that terminology. So I guess my question is, you know, um, I thought it was kind of interesting when you were telling your story. I thought you were going to say you started practicing on the on the cows, uh, but uh, you you dismissed <laughs> that one right off the bat. Okay, but on a more serious <laughs> note, my question to you is: so you had this idea, you had this vision, um, but you really didn't have your own foundation, if you will, to 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 work off of, and you're you're putting yourself out there. It's a very ambitious approach. I think a lot of people would be very hesitant to do that. I'm curious to know in this whole world of fake it till you make it, uh, the idea of following your passion, how would you advise others who want to get into, whether it's coaching or another industry where they feel like currently they might have the in the innate ability, but they really don't have the world life experience to be able to speak to, yes, I ran my own business and I did it for 40 years and now I'm going to come and consult. How would you advise people to sort of fast track their process and to know that they're even on the right track to begin with? It's a good question. And I, here's the interesting part of this. Most coaches can't afford to pay attention, never mind their bills. And it's an unfortunate statement to make. But part of the challenge is, is you may have an incredible story the world needs to hear. You may have knowledge, skill and life experience, business experience, that there are so many literally millions of people and entrepreneurs and businesses that need uh, they need to hear from you. But here's the challenge. We've never been taught how to communicate in a way that we can sell uh, something that is not tangible. If you want to go buy a new laptop, a new cell phone, a car, a truck, whatever you want to buy, you see, feel and touch it. There's a there's features and benefits and attributable value value. But when we have to sell something that is not tangible, we lose whatever it is we need to or don't have whatever it is we need to, to go do that. So one of the things I've done about 10 years ago, uh, my CEO came to me. She said, Sean, we need to have a conversation. And I said, okay. So we sat down in the boardroom and she said, listen, we're getting on average about three to four calls a day or inquiries to the website from people that want you to teach them what you know, how to coach. And I said, that's that's not our audience. And about a year later, she came back to me and said, Sean, we need to sit down and have this conversation. And so we did. And so we started doing that. And what's interesting is we found that um, there are countless individuals out there who, when we actually show them what this looks like, they can go and create this business, which in turn gives them some of the things they need, want, desire, and deserve, which is that freedom. And so for for those of you out there today who, you know, for example, using what you said a moment ago, you know, they have 40 years in business. Um, it's not about how to do it. It's about how to get in front of the right people. And I have a 12-year-old son, or I have a couple kids, but my 12-year-old son and I were having a conversation, and he said, how did you meet some of the people that you interact with, that you work with? And I said, I put myself in the way. He said, what does that mean? I said, well, it, it, they couldn't avoid me. And he looked at me funny. And I don't think you really understood it, but if you put yourself in the way of what you want, you're going to be able to interact with that individual, with that objective, with that goal, whatever it is. Um, we stopped the service station to get fuel a couple months ago this, in the past summer. We were headed down to our cabin. And the gentleman on the other side of the pumps from me and I started having a conversation. And my oldest son looked at me when we got back to the vehicle and drove away. And he says, did you just like exchange your phone number with some stranger at the service station? I said, yes. He's like, let me guess. You're going to have a conversation with and do business with them at some point. And I said, maybe. He goes, oh, I think I'm starting to understand this. And so the key in all of this is in order for you to succeed at a high level, there, your life is predicated in only two things. One, the decisions you make. And to the relationships you establish, nurture, and build. 
So strong, powerful, and high trust relationships are everything. If you want to succeed in business, one, you need to align yourself with somebody who's been there and done it before. And number two, strong, powerful, high trust relationships. It, it doesn't happen on Zoom. It doesn't happen in virtual events. It happens over a cup of coffee, a glass of wine. It happens over dinner. And, you know, I have people come to me all the time and say, Sean, listen, you know, I want to do those six-figure deals or those seven-figure deals. And I posted something on this social media platform or that platform. And that's great, but you're not going to you're not going to in most cases put together that kind of a deal uh, just because you posted something on some social media platform somewhere. It's about so, relationships, and it's about the sphere of influence that you start to create. So I think you hit on I mean many things, but the one piece I want to focus on is trust, especially because in today's environment where so much of it is virtual. Obviously, we're talking in a virtual medium right now. Um, but this is still better than a lot of what goes on in the world today. How, what, what is your, your fast track, if you will? I mean, it sounds like a crazy question because reality is trust is usually something that is built slowly. You know, it's not, it's not microwaved, it's slow cooked, but That's what true. is your, if you had to focus on one or two elements to build trust with another person, what would they be? Uh, time. That, there's only one. Um, so and I'll share this very openly. If you look at somebody who's been successful holding events, uh, you know, seminars, these kinds of things, um, one of the things that um, maybe sometimes they don't want you to know about is the longer the time you spend with that individual, the person who's leading this event, the higher the trust that's established. So when when you sit down with that individual and you want to conduct business, whether you want to buy what they have or they want to sell what they're selling to you, um, the, the more time you invest together, the higher that trust is. And so time, that's a reality. Um, I don't think there's a quick a quick way to do it um, other than uh, than proof, social proof. You know, if I can say I'm the best, right? And I believe I am the best. But just because I said it doesn't mean you're going to believe it. But if five other people say to you, listen, Sean is the best, um, then you know you're going to believe them because it's a third party. I received an email this morning. I'll share this very openly. My assistant and I were speaking before I jumped on with you, and uh, she she said to me, "This this woman that came through yesterday and wants to work with you." She said her parents worked with you in 2005. I said they did, and she sent another email. She said, "I just talked to my this is last night." She'd sent it. I read it this morning. She said, "I talked to my parents this morning, and they're retired now, but they're relieved that I'm working with you." Right. And it's and it's interesting because there is a situation where there is high stress and this kind of thing. And she'd sent just a two line email through our website. Hi, I think my parents worked with you in 2005. I'd like to request, you know, that I get to work with that kind of scenario. So I think it, that's what it comes down to. You know, her parents said you should talk to Sean. And uh, when we start building something, it is about those high trust relationships. Now, I may not have spoken to her parents since 2005, but obviously there was an impact. Yeah. So let's talk about impact. Who is one person that made a very positive impact in your life? And what specifically did they do? Um, very, very easy to answer. Bob Proctor. Uh, unfortunately, we lost him last year, as I'm sure you know. Um, I um, I went through a really rough time many, many years back. And um, I was in the midst, to, to, to abbreviate the story, I was in the midst of a pity party. And somebody I worked with at the time said, Bob Proctor's coming to town. I said, who? And so I started making some phone calls, talked to a few people, and uh, he was coming coming to one of the large hotels. And, you know, but I was determined I wasn't going to pay $1,500 to see him for three days. You know, if I wanted to pay someone to preach to me, I can go to church. 
So the reality of this was I, I was ready, but not. Um, but I went and had a conversation with Bob, uh, notwithstanding the fact that I hadn't hadn't uh, I hadn't uh, paid to attend his event. And I bought him breakfast uh, on the Saturday morning of the event. And uh, I mean, I was a sponge. I was absorbing this this knowledge. And it, what something hit me. Interestingly, there was about seven or eight hundred people at that event staying in that hotel, um, none of whom asked if they could buy him breakfast that morning. And that I was, it was interesting. And I walked in, I was like, man, we're the only ones in the restaurant, seven o'clock. Um, I had the privilege of working with him. He wrote the forward to my first book. Um, he taught me how to think differently or maybe to think, maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, he asked me a question. We sat down, shook hands, you know, pleasantries are out of the way. The server came over, took our order. He ordered his dry toast and eggs. He looked at me and said, can I ask you a question, Sean? I said, sure. He said, what's the most amount of money you've ever earned in a year? Now, I grew up in a home that was very conservative, and I don't mean politically conservative, just, you know, necessity meant something different today than it, than it does or did then. Uh, you know, I didn't get new shoes till there was holes in the bottom of my shoes. And you didn't ask people about money. It was a taboo topic. There was never enough. Even if there was a couple dollars, there was never enough. And I looked at Bob Proctor and I said, who the hell do you think you are? And he smiled knowingly. He said, Sean, it doesn't really matter. But it tells me two things. It tells me, one, how you see yourself. And two, how you value yourself. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Why has no one ever shared anything? And I sat there for the better part of an hour and listened. Uh, got to know him, obviously. He wrote the forward to my first book. And um, throughout the years, I remember having a conversation with him. And I was buying a, a fairly expensive acreage with a big home on it. And we're talking on the phone. Just a, just a, there was no, no structure of the conversation. Just more of a, hi, how are you? And he, I said, I got to run. I got to go to the bank. He said, what are you going to the bank for? I said, uh, I have to meet with them to sign a mortgage. He said, what do you need a mortgage for? How much do you need? I said, well, it's over a million dollars. He said, don't get a mortgage. Figure out a way to go make the money, then go buy the property. And he had a different way of viewing things. And uh, I think that how we see things today is based on, a, on conditioning. And uh, if you ever had an opportunity to interact with him, uh, he would push you to the limit always and then some. Yeah, well, I don't know Bob or don't, didn't know of him, certainly to the level that you did. <clears throat> but um, I definitely have watched quite a few of his of his talks and heard his messages. And there's a lot of what you're sharing that's kind of like coming through in a different voice, if you will. The both of you have a very distinct Canadian accent. So I hear that piece loud and clear <laughs> as well. Um, as somebody who had family up in Montreal, I, I definitely have that sensitivity. But I, I wanted to ask you a question related to, I guess, Bob as well, but mainly from your experience as far as public speaking is concerned. So I speak from the stage, you speak from the stage, you've done it many more times uh, than I have. Um, a lot of people are very afraid. And even if it's not necessarily from the stage, they're afraid to get up in public in any forum and to share something in the presence of multiple eyeballs at the mm -hmm. same time. And so because it's so important and because it's so valuable to not only share ideas, but sort of leverage yourself and create this this impression minimally of that you're somebody of of a value of stature, somebody who who is worth listening to. What can you tell people who are listening to this conversation that even the average person who doesn't view themselves as a speaker can internalize to make that process easier for them and help them get more success out of it? Uh, that's a really good question. And there's a few reasons why I decided to take up speaking. If we go back many years, I, I was an introvert. 
I remember, you know, I shared with you, I moved to the big city. I got a job with one of the national cell phone carriers. And I remember one morning they they had every single person that worked for them in this city where I lived go to a hotel ballroom at 6.30 or 7 in the morning for some raw, raw and speaker. And there was a, a portion of this where, you know, you walked around, shook hands and all these. And I mean, I stood at the back of the, you know, the back phones weren't as smart then as they are now. But I stood at the back of the room and stared at my shoes to make sure they were still shiny because I didn't want to go and shake hands. I was not. If you would have told me 35 years ago, Sean, you'll be speaking on stages, writing books, doing all these, you know, these interviews, I would have laughed at you. Um, it takes a decision. Um, and I'd gone through a rough time, met Bob, and I'll never forget, I flew to Toronto um, to see him speak. And I didn't go to hear the message. I'd heard him three, four, five, six times, maybe more. I went to watch what he did when he spoke and the process and the system. And um, I I mastered speaking that way. Now, could I learn more? Sure. I don't think you ever know everything. But um, you know, Bob, Bob, every presentation Bob ever gave was memorized in 15 minute, 15 minute vignettes that were interchangeable. So if you put Bob on stage at any time, anywhere and asked a question, it might have taken him about 20 seconds. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody flipped the switch. Um, and what I learned in that is that um, it's not just about getting on stage and talking. It's about the engagement. And when you set and you've experienced this, I'm certain when you stand on stage, especially in a smaller venue, and you can see the people you're speaking with now bigger venues, and you've got lights in your eyes and that you can't see when you've got a few thousand people, but in a smaller venue, and you see that moment, that aha moment where their face, their eyes change and light up, because they get it. it it's, it's, it's come home. They, they, it's like, uh, oh my goodness, it's an epiphany. Um, it, it makes a difference. And I think for me, it was some of those, um, I remember going and, and watching other speakers, but and watching not just their messaging, but more about how they did it. How did they come on stage? How did, you know, what what was that? And I think that's it. Uh, you know, there's lots of trainers out there and I'm not knocking any of them. I'm sure some of them are phenomenal. Uh, but I think more importantly is for you to find a style and engage with the people that you have the opportunity to speak with, to share with. Awesome. And I'm hearing a lot about mentoring and of course, modeling as well. As a former educator, which is my background, that in school leadership, I very much value, you know, not just the the imparting, so to speak, of information, mm -hmm. but showing how it's done and ensuring that the learner is properly learning. So this really all resonates with me. I have one final question for this segment. It's a question I ask everybody, and that is, what would you say is the biggest mistake that you've ever made, and and what have you what have you gained or grown from, or learned from? Excuse me, from that mistake. Not listening. And I think we take, there's, you know, I have kids, so I get this. So, you know, we take it all in adulthood. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, um, I remember Bob uh, sharing something with me years ago. I remember another mentor of mine sharing something. And they said, Sean, you should really consider doing X, whatever that happened to be at the time. And I said, yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, I thought I knew better. And I didn't. So when you have a mentor, when you have a coach, and there's a, there is a difference between a mentor and a coach. But when you have a mentor and a coach and you're working with them and they make a suggestion or perhaps in the coaching realm, they say, this is what you should be doing in order to, for you to achieve or attain what it is you, you know, you set out to um, do it. Right. I remember this goes back years now to the days where, you know, CDs and, and workbooks, right. Instead of the online courses and LMSs and all these kinds of things. And uh, one of my, one of my coaches um, uh, out of the Eastern seaboard in the United States said to me, so Sean, you should do a course. And I'd written the book already, or maybe it was just in the process of it. I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I let it go. And years went by. And, you know, there was one example of, should I have listened? Yeah. 
And would it have made a difference? So there's one mistake. I mean, that was certainly, you know, that that wasn't a catastrophe, but there have been. I, I've made, you know, blunders. I've started running profit from 43 different companies. I've made my share of mistakes. I hear that loud and clear. Wow. Very, very powerful segment. And so now we're going to transition to the rapid fire where the answers are short and sweet. What are your morning rituals? Uh, great question. Um, for me, it's exercise, 5 a.m., most mornings anyway. Um, and then just a few minutes on on brain feed, right? It could be whatever whatever you happen to be, whether it's you know a book on motivation. I wrote a book called Daily Motivation. There's 366 pages in there, one for every day of the year. Um, and then there's uh, you know it, depending on your belief system, whether it's a Bible or whatever it happens to be, um, you know brain feed. I think that's really important. That's how you start your day. If you could plaster a message on a massive billboard, either in Calgary where you are or anywhere else, what would it be? Uh, I think it, it means do something you're afraid of. Okay. Um, do you prefer to be the first speaker on the slate or to follow others? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I prefer to be the second. The second. Okay. Shame I didn't put that in the first segment. Okay. Next one. A common myth about leadership. That a title, the title makes you a leader. Yeah, I love that one. I would have said that too. Okay, a productivity tip that helps you, Sean, to get more done. Focus on high leverage activities, download, delegate, and automate the rest. Nice. Okay, that's exactly what we practice in my mastermind. All right, so you've shared a ton. I wish we had time to talk more, but I do want everybody to know how to be able to reach out to you and to benefit from your wisdom, your experiences, and of course, your, your, your coaching expertise. What would be the best way to do that? Uh, you can go to changeyourresults.com and find out everything that we do. Um, I do want to share something, if you'll uh, allow me a, a moment. Um, this will be the first time I've shared this. Uh, we have something where, and I shared this earlier with you a moment ago, where we talked specifically about uh, um, coaches, helping coaches and those people who want to become coaches or who want to actually build a business around coaching. Um, we, we're we going to launch this in October, and it's called Line Factor Coaching. And you can go to linefactorcoaching.com. And this is all about those people who are coaches and want to succeed at a high level, who want to become coaches. Um, it, that's all this is. It's all focused on those who want to help others from a coaching perspective. Which is really critical because so many coaches, as good as they are or as good as they can be, are struggling, you know, to be able to provide a full slate of of, of clients and really deliver at the sure. highest levels possible. So I'm sure that would be a fantastic resource. All right. So, Sean. Uh, you've shared a lot. I'm sure you have a ton more, but I'm going to ask you just for one final life lesson to wrap up our segment today. You know, uh, so many of us, I think, get head down on the other end of the year focused on those things that we, quote unquote, need to do on a daily basis. Um, I really want you to take every single person that's watching and listening today, uh, pick your head up and look at what it is you want to achieve and take the steps today. There is no tomorrow. Take the steps today to start moving in that direction. That will change outcomes. One small move today has massive impact tomorrow. Awesome. Very inspiring and certainly something I'm going to take uh, deeply to heart. Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you from one coach to another. Um, it's clear to me that you deliver awesome oversized value to your clients. And I can't wait to get this content out to my audience. Thank you again and keep providing this this incredible impact to the world. We certainly need more, need more coaches like you doing what you do. 
Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 